Welcome back to Inspiring Neighbors Podcast, where we showcase seemingly ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Today, we were both on the edge of our seats, mm-hmm. learning possibly more than we've learned in a very long time about animals. Uh, we had an amazing guest on, someone I went to university with uh, that had, did nothing to do with her degree once she finished, um, but for a very inspiring reason. Her name is Georgina DeKenny, and she is the creator and founder of Yamnuska Wolf Dog Sanctuary, where they mm-hmm. rescue and take care of, um, yeah, wolf dogs. And she's created this amazing place, uh, this amazing sanctuary for animals. And she talked to us about her journey to how she got there and the very tough decisions that led to the heaven that she lives in right now it's it's it was amazing and my favorite part of it was listening to how she managed to follow her heart in almost every decision she's made um it was spectacular what did you think angela spectacular is a good word i i i mean not not unlike some of our other guests but she oozes passion in the way she talks about wolf dogs and and her work with them and it's just contagious it makes me um happy makes me want to find my life's purpose (laughs) to to hear her talk me too it was like i don't know i was so proud listening to her to have heard like (laughs) she's found this life's purpose is the way she phrases it Mm -hmm. and i just hope for everybody in the world including ourselves that we we find that so Georgina, we did mention in the interview, but she was uh, named in Avenue Calgary's top 40 under 40 in 2021. Wow. And they mentioned that she not only rescues wolf dogs, but educates 20,000 visitors annually on their <gasps> conservation. 20,000. Which, which is like the fact that we know her now, I feel. We're famous. <laughs> like, we're, we are famous. <laughs> No, uh, she was really awesome to talk to. And and we learned a lot from her. And I'm sure like about wolf dogs and about life. So I'm sure other people uh, will enjoy this as well. I agree. So thank you, Georgina, for coming on. To our listeners, please enjoy Georgina DeKenny. Let's talk to our neighbors. Because everyone can inspire. The Inspiring Neighbors Podcast Light Your Fire. So I have a seven-year-old son. I have three sons, but one is seven, and he's very into who I'm interviewing. And I was telling him, this was probably two weeks ago. I was really excited. I said, I'm I'm interviewing somebody who uh, takes care of wolves. <laughs> I'm going to have to back off the mic. He goes, yeah, let's go. And he starts <laughs> dancing around his room. <laughs> so he's very excited for this one. Uh, he hasn't heard any of our episodes, but he's going to be excited to hear this one. And I promised him I would take him to see you and the wolf dogs. So yeah, you'll have I'm, to. I'm very excited to come and visit you guys. Um, yeah. I did have one silly question. Is it possible my golden doodle who's 40 pounds is also part wolf dog? Because I can't control him. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the doodle part. <laughs> okay. The damn poodles, the French, they yeah. got me again. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no uh, excuse for that one. <laughs> I am, I am the reason. So it's just a trainer, a trainer fault, I think, right? 
Well, but I think like a lot of times, like the doodles just are super energetic and kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, dance to the beat of their own drum. That's a good way to put it. He definitely <laughs> dances to his own drum. <laughs> I actually went to university with Georgina um, and we graduated together. And then I never saw Georgina do anything related to, <laughs> to engineering. Is that a true statement? That is a very true statement. <laughs> okay. She she took off and did something even greater, um, much greater, I would say. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys and, yeah, share some fun things about living at the sanctuary. Me too. I'm excited to hear about it. So I actually went to the sanctuary um, maybe four years ago now, probably just like 2019 or something. I Like my husband arranged it for his brother and I just ran. I don't even know how he found out about it, but we went on this trip. It was totally unexpected and I loved it. I mean, it's a really like... I would recommend to everybody to go visit. I was actually looking at uh, some of the some of the website and your social media stuff. I was like, oh, I have to go back. I want to go see, play with the to play with the wolf dogs again and kind of learn from learn about them. Um, but it blows my mind that that is something that like any one person started. Never mind someone that would be like close to my age, just like go into engineering like me. Like it just it's mind blowing that. Uh, that this is something that any one person started. So congrats that it's really, uh, it seems so established. It's hard to believe that it's it's been within my professional life that this has come to be. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't quite believe it myself. <laughs> you know, like when I kind of started pursuing this dream, I mean, never in a million years did I think it would turn out to be, you know, the sanctuary, the facility that it is today. And yeah, it's, it was not quite planned, but I'm very grateful it turned out this way. I am too. Um, Before we get into too much into the sanctuary, I wanted to ask, so you were not born in Canada, right? No, I was born in Belgium. And then my family moved out to Canada when I was seven years old. Ooh, okay. So had you gone to school yet in Belgium? Yeah. So by the time that my family moved to Canada, I went into grade two. And I can say that that first year, grade two, was traumatic because I didn't speak any English. And here I was dropped off at a school in Canmore. I couldn't understand the teachers. I couldn't understand anybody. And it was really scary that yeah, I figured it out. And but there's definitely some very vivid memories from that time. No kidding. That's scary for a seven year old. It was interesting. But you know what, like, in a way, I'm actually really glad that I went through that. Because like, mm-hmm. sometimes I really think that must be how the wolf dogs feel around humans. Ooh, right? Interesting. Yeah. Like they can't understand us and they mm-hmm. especially like the really wolfy wolf dogs, the high content wolf dogs that really have, you know, they're not born with any genetic predisposition to understanding us humans like domestic dogs do. And they must kind of feel the same way. They're just thrown in this human world with, you know, yeah, like caretakers they can't understand and they have to figure it out. So yeah, in a way, like I feel like in kind of relate to that because of that experience that's very cool so 
On your website, you have a, a documentary. I'm going to say I cheated and I watched that documentary. <laughs> it's amazing. Between Dog and Wolf. I yeah. urge everybody to go on YouTube and find that because it's, it's amazing. It's very well done. Uh, mm -hmm. It gave me a lot of questions to prepare for this interview. Um, but one of them was, and I'll just throw it out there because you mentioned it, the, the way you understand, you've created this understanding of the dogs you work with. And, and even when you talk about your first one, whose name was Kuna, right? Is Kuna. Yeah. Uh, the connection that you developed with hers is amazing. Her? Him? Her? Her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. She's a lady. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. Uh, <laughs> did you grow up around animals even before Canada? Or, yeah, for sure. Okay. So when we were living in Belgium, um, we had chickens and we had goats, we had cats, we had a dog. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, like we had bunnies. So yeah, I very much grew up around animals. I've always been a huge animal lover, mm -hmm. and so yeah, why I went into engineering, I'm not 100 percent <laughs> sure. <laughs> that is a question. So. Yeah. <laughs> Did you consider like veterinary school or anything more animal? Yeah. Related? So, you know, what's really interesting. So, so in my family there, my mom and my two sisters are doctors. And so growing up, it was always medical talk at, you know, the dinner table in our household, whatever. And I just like was so turned off of it. Hmm. And my oldest brother is an engineer. He's a mechanical engineer. And like growing up, like I really loved how things work. I was kind of a bit of a tomboy and did love vehicles and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, like I think I wanted to kind of rebel a little bit from the female side of my family. <laughs> and so that's why I went into engineering that, um, yeah, I don't know why I didn't just do something else with animals, but maybe, yeah, being a vet, I think was too much medical stuff. And so, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a bit of a, I think, teenage rebellion. <laughs> Maybe you have a bit of doodle in you. You just wanted to go to the beat of your own drum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you you had animals here as well when you were young, I'm guessing? Yeah. So when we moved, unfortunately, like we had to leave like our chickens and our goats behind and whatnot, but we moved yeah. with our cats and our dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it didn't take long for us to get chickens where we lived. Um, but yeah, like for me, I was always the most drawn to canines. I'm not much mm -hmm. of a cat person if I'm being honest. Um, but also like where I grew up was right near the stony reservation. So we'd come across just a lot of reserve dogs. Right. right. And, um, yeah. And yeah, and this is how I somehow convinced my dad anyway, to let me keep a bunch of them. So uh, uh, at one point in time, we had five dogs and that was mainly my doing, but wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was always meant to be. You didn't, you my... didn't even know what you're training for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Five dogs was like for babies compared to what you've grown into being able to manage. Yeah. I mean, now we've got 43 wolf dogs, which is Holy. all fine and dandy, but I've got eight house dogs. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a busy household. Holy smokes. It's amazing. If... <laughs> my brain just went somewhere 
probably not good. But if the eight house dogs, if any of them got out and went to visit the wolf dogs, and if that were to happen, would it be not good? Um, so it really depends on the wolf dog. So most okay. of the wolf dogs that um, kind of – so let me back up for a minute. So if okay. you were to look at an aerial view of the sanctuary, what you would see is there is my house – that has a front yard with kind of a backyard and the backyard backs onto one of the wolf dog enclosures. And then all the other wolf dog enclosures, um, kind of go east and north of my house. Um, so my front yard is designated for my domestic dogs. My backyard has a pack of wolf dogs and then all <laughs> the other packs of wolf dogs are further back. Um, so the pack that lives right behind my house, they're the pack that I moved here with. And so, um, and like half my house dogs are so old that they were around before the wolf dogs. So most of the wolf dogs know my domestic dogs. Mm. Um, but I've got a Belgian Malinois that's a year and a half and he likes to antagonize the wolf dogs. So <laughs> He's brave behind the fence. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I mean, if him and the pack behind my house were to have an interaction, that would probably not go well. But all the ones that grew up with some of my old senior dogs, like, they do all right together. Oh, that's mm -hmm. cool. They've, yeah. they've grown into a pack of their own somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. But any of, like, the further packs that really don't get to see my domestic dogs, yeah, mm -hmm. if I were to walk one of my Irish wolfhounds in there, for example, I mean they would go after my dog for sure. I was wondering if you'd be, like, obviously you are, if you'd be interested in owning dogs, having wolf dogs, like if it's just too, I don't know, easy well, <laughs> to have so, dogs. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's, I, after having wolf dogs and having raised wolf dogs, because raising wolf dogs is really hard. Like it's a ton of work and it's just nonstop. Like you just never really get a break. And so now being able to raise and live with like domestic dogs, I appreciate them so much more because you can really see what the thousands of thousands of years of domestication mm -hmm. really did to our dogs. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, if you were to take a high content wolf dog puppy and raise it at, from the same age as a domestic dog puppy, just their ability to understand a human is mm. completely different because domestic dogs, I mean, it's been proven that they're born with the ability to understand human body language, our facial expressions, all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to wolves, I mean, obviously they're not born with any ability to understand humans, right? And mm. so the amount of work that goes into raising a high content wolf dog puppy is just a ton because you're literally starting from nothing. Mm. Whereas with a domestic dog puppy, I mean, you're like halfway there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know so you yeah, may think it, it's tough trevor but <laughs> <laughs> i'm just hearing this thinking what am i complaining you have a lot about? of work done for you already. yeah yeah. yeah but you know and it's really interesting <laughs> because like with my belgian malinois like he's a year and a half now and he's in a way he's almost like somewhere in between because yeah he's totally domesticated obviously but he's so smart and his ability to problem solve and 
yeah, just figure things out. It almost reminds me of the intellectual capacity of the wolf dogs. And so, yeah, he's kind of almost somewhere in between where he takes a ton of management, a ton of training, a ton of oversight, a ton of guidance because he's so smart, right? Whereas my Irish wolfhounds, I love them to death that their intellectual capacity is at about like a three-year-old. You know what I mean? (laughs) Whereas the Malinois he's probably somewhere around like a 10, 11 year old. And then the wolf dogs are teenagers. Oh, wow. When you came to Canada, you were kind of on your own in a new world, um, no new friends or anything. Did the did the animals that you surrounded yourself, did they kind of provide that support, do you think, um, that a friend would have done in a normal case? Yeah, I think so. Um, and especially for me, too. Like, I did grade two in Canmore, and then I moved schools. I uh, actually then went to Exshaw School, did two years there. So I did grade, no, I would have done three. I did grade three, grade four, grade five, halfway through grade five, I skipped a grade into grade six. So then it's like, it's all new friends. And, you know, and then, so then I did half of grade six, grade seven, grade eight. Then I went to high school in Canmore, did grade 11, (laughs) sorry, grade nine and grade 10 there. And then I moved to Grand Prairie and did grade 11 and grade 12 there. And so like, I've, I've never really been able to have like a core group of friends. Yeah. And so, whereas, yeah, like my animals were always there. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So you've learned to make friends quickly. Yeah. I mean, I'm super introverted, so mm-hmm. making friends was not really ever my forte, but, um, and yeah, like for me, it's my animals are, Yeah they're my best friends and my kids. And as long as I've got those guys, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. And I'm sure they're happy to have you too. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you went, uh, you decided to go into engineering. You you touched on it briefly. Did you ever Mm -hmm. intend to work as an engineer with that degree? Or did you always kind of have a feeling that like I'm doing this, but probably this is not going to be what I do. That's a really good question. So basically when I decided to go into engineering, yeah, I thought I was going to be an engineer for sure. But then halfway through my engineer degree, that's when I realized like, this is not what I want to do. Like I just, I couldn't see myself ever doing that job, like being in an office. I just could not envision it. Mm -hmm. And so then I decided, well, you know what, then I'm going to be a vet. And so, um, basically I did my third and fourth year of engineering actually over, um, like I spread it out and added in all my pre-vet courses. So I was doing spring school, summer school, um, at the same time as doing my third and fourth year of engineering. Um, and then I applied to vet school, um, after I finished my engineering degree and, um, I didn't get in, but that was a blessing in disguise. And, uh, but yeah, so about halfway through my engineering degree, I knew it's not what I didn't want to do, but I'm also not a quitter and I wanted to see it through. And worst case scenario, it was always going to be a backup plan. Right. That, mm. yeah, about halfway through, I knew that it wasn't for me. Yeah. That answered one of my questions. One of them was why continue, but cause you, you had to see it through. That's something it's. 
yeah, in your exactly blood. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and especially because I wasn't sure, like, do I even really want to be a vet? Like I just didn't really know. And, and so I didn't mm-hmm. want to close any doors. And so, yeah, I just decided to do all my, um, pre-vet courses at the same time. And I had never actually done my biology courses in high school. So I had to go to Bow Valley College and do my bio 20 and bio Mm -hmm. 30. So that was interesting too. Holy good for you. Uh, That's such a big commitment halfway through an engineering degree. Yeah. And I mean, most you know, like most of the people that I did engineering with, like you guys went and did your year of internship, right? Yep. And I didn't do that. So, but I still spread those last two years over three years because I added in all my my pre-vet courses. So, yeah. Holy. So you're basically a vet also. Um, I think I probably learned more about vet stuff just from the last 11 years with the wolf dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Learning on the job. You know, but it's interesting because looking back now, like I know that I could not have been happy as a vet either. Like it just, yeah. I mean, I think that was just the next best thing to being an engineer and just growing up in my family, like they're all overachievers, unfortunately. So it was, you know, it's, you're either a doctor, engineer, lawyer, like vet, like it's, you know, you got to pick one of those things. And so I knew that, yeah, like I want to do something with animals. So let's try vet school, but I know that I would not have been happy being a vet either. That, yeah, it took some convincing with my family to let me kind of abandon that, yeah, that professional career, right? Like, academia, yeah. Mm-hmm. The straight paths, yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, I know you worked at a sled dog kennel, is that yeah. right? Was that the first type of animal work that you were involved in besides owning? different pets yeah yeah so it was in my second year of engineering that yeah in the summer I worked at a um one of the dog sled kennels in Canmore and then the following summer I worked at a different dog sled kennel Mm. um yeah and that's that helped me to realize that yeah like I want to work outdoors I want to work with animals I don't want to sit in an office in front of a computer and Mm. crunch numbers so Mm. Yeah. Very cool. And a, and it was about, I want to say halfway through engineering that you also got your first wolf dog, right? Yeah. So that would have been, um, so halfway through engineering was 2008 and I got Kuna in 2009. So I got her okay. in my third year of engineering. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that was a pivotal moment in my life for sure. Can you tell us about that? Can you explain why that is? Yeah. So, well, first of all, it was in that summer of 2008 when I was working at a sled dog kennel. That's where I got introduced to wolf dogs because before that, I had no idea that they even existed. And I think like most people, um, my initial reaction was that these animals are beautiful and amazing. And, you know, you have that kind of natural like desire of, oh my God, like I want one, right? And so, yeah, like I started kind of doing a bit of research on where I could get one and all that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't until the following summer in 2009 that I came across, yeah, this breeder that um, had 
Kuna, and she had just been returned from the previous family that originally purchased her. So that should have been a bit of an inclination <laughs> that this puppy was a little more challenging. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I, I got her because I wanted a wolf dog. And at the time, I had not done the additional research of what that actually really means for my life, right? And, and what I would have to change and how would I, would I make that work? Um, cause yeah, doing like full-time engineering at the same time as raising an animal like this was not, not ideal that I got myself into it. So I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. What did your family, like your, your dad was <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. There's still debate to this day about how this actually <laughs> went down. Okay. Because my dad swears up and down that I didn't tell him that we were going to pick up a wolf dog puppy. <laughs> Whereas I, I feel like, and I mean, this is a long time ago now, but I don't think I would have left that out. Um, but anyway, I don't think we'll ever know who's right on that, but yeah, basically like my dad drove to Saskatchewan with me to go get Kuna and we arrive at this place and he sees these wolves and high content wolf dogs. And he's like, wait a second. Um, that, I mean, I'm the youngest and my dad <laughs> loves me very much. And up until that point, I'd already gotten away with a lot. So, and you know, like I'd kind of learned that. Yeah, my dad is a bit of a pushover when it comes to things, and especially me bringing home animals, I should say. He kind of knows that that's a, lose, a lost battle anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky that he was game to bring her home. And, yeah, I mean, he was along for the ride with me because it was me and my dad versus Kuna in our house. Oh, my gosh. So what kind of yeah. things, like, what was Kuna like? What what kind of yeah, things would you so do? Basically, there was a lot of destruction, right? Okay. So because at the end of the day, like wolves explore the world with their teeth and they're very mm -hmm. curious animals and they're very smart animals. And, and just like kids, when they grab an object, they want to figure it out, right? But we do it with our hands, whereas wolves do it with their teeth. And so, mm. you know, and, and even puppies chew on things, right? So now take that to like a whole other level. Um, with a high content wolf dog, you combine that with the fact that I didn't actually have proper outdoor containment for Kuna. So she was forced to be inside. She couldn't, I couldn't even just like put her outside and just leave her. It's like, mm. no, she's indoors against her will because she wants to be outside. So not only is she super smart and wants to just naturally chew things, but she's frustrated and annoyed and angry and, you know, takes that out on everything in our house so yeah she wrecked a lot of things she broke windows even um oh my gosh yeah, yeah it was it was crazy and it was it was very stressful I bet and yeah that I learned a lot about management of you know like her little temper tantrums and whatnot and and yeah like I pretty quickly had to figure out like how do I provide this animal with what she really needs to be happy so that she doesn't have these temper tantrums. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, she needed a large outdoor space where she could be safe and have some freedom. 
um, she needed an animal of her own kind, right? Because mm. when it comes to high content wolf dogs, they they live by a very different set of rules than domestic dogs. So, because for wolves in the wild, I mean, think about the hierarchy within their packs, right? Their animals that cooperate with one another to survive. They've got all these instinctual behaviors of, you know, like their need for dominance and prey drive and resource guarding and all this kind of stuff. And a domestic dog just doesn't understand all these little intricate rules, right? And so she needed somebody like herself to share her life with, especially Mm -hmm. if I'm gone for, you know, basically like nine to 10 hours a day at school. But yeah, it was basically drive to school, be at school, drive home, and then take care of Kuna. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed Trevor, but after 2009, I kind of disappeared off the like writer in terms of like a social life at school because yeah i was racing home because i had to deal with my my crazy wolf dog all the pieces (laughs) are coming together because i did notice like i did notice that yeah you'd be there for class but you would never be like hanging out in the homeroom like in the hallways i never run into you yeah i i no longer had time for that and and that was hard for me right but i had to make that decision of you know, like either I have to rehome Kunin and because she's she's not happy if and, and she needs somebody to take care of her. Um or yeah, I mean I had to decide what I wanted more, my life with Kuna or my social life at school and being a somewhat normal young adult. And mm-hmm. I chose Kuna and I'm very glad that I did because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was really hard at the time, but she, she helped me create the life that I live now. Right. And and mm-hmm. that, that's what I was meant to do with my life, not be an engineer. And, and even though it was really hard, um, and I really wasn't sure about whether I could even make it work with Kuna, I had to at least try and yeah. I mean, somehow, some way, we figured it out together. Holy smokes. What was your relationship with your dad like at this point when the house was being ruined every day? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of helped that my dad only lived at home part time because um, he he had his business in Golden, B.C. Um, He had a ski shop at that kicking horse. And so all winter long, he would be out there. Um, and I mean, he'd come home like maybe like once a week or whatever, right? Just to kind of <laughs> check on things and whatnot. But yeah. um, otherwise, he was always out there. In the summertime, though, he was around a lot. But I'm really fortunate that my dad, he he totally fell in love with Kuna to the same degree that I did. Right. And, you know, like my dad, he is a wonderful human being and he's got like a total marshmallow heart when it comes to animals, even if he, you know, won't admit it sometimes that, <laughs> yeah, like he honestly, Kuna was just such an amazing animal. Like when you meet her, there's, it's, they're totally different than the dog. Like just, you can sense their just intelligence and, and just their sentience. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah it's totally different than a dog. And he, so 
my dad noticed that. And yeah, like Kuna wrapped my dad around her little finger, like <laughs> probably more than I ever did. So uh, yeah, I think that's how we got away with it. Cause he loves her. And still to this day, like my dad comes and visits all the time. And you know, the first thing that he goes, goes and does is goes say hi to Kuna. And yeah, Kuna loves my dad and it's, yeah, they share something super special. It's amazing. Just like, I feel like Kuna was this angel coming to kind of direct you in the direction that you had to go in. And sometimes oh, yeah. lessons in life, they look really hard, right? Like in the now, this lesson is like, my house is being ruined. I have to go to school for nine hours. I'm going to probably be stressed for most of them wondering what Kuna's up to while I'm here mm -hmm. sitting in a chair. Yeah. And it's really hard, but it was this lesson kind of that you had to learn and it led you to this thing that you, this passion, to discovering this passion that you have. For sure. That possibly I mean, I, you wouldn't have had. Oh, 100%, right? Like if I wasn't for Kuna, my life would be completely different. And I know that I probably really would not have been happy. And yeah, like I truly believe that Kuna has allowed me to live out my life's purpose. Like I know that this is what I'm meant to be doing. And yeah, she's taught me so much just about myself. And she, she's so much a part of my identity that when I think about what life is like, or will be like when she's no longer around, because she's going to be turning 14 years old this spring. Like, I, I don't even know what that looks like because she, yeah, she's kind of my whole world. She created my whole world, right? And yeah, I mean, she has been the biggest gift that I've ever been given by the universe. I can say that 100%. I can see that. That's incredible. Georgina, when you say about like your life's purpose, because uh, if, you know, seen you talk about that before also in, in the documentary and you you speak about it with so much kind of confidence and clarity that I wonder if you'd be able to describe first of all did you ever doubt it was there ever unsteady because it doesn't it sounds like you're such a firm um I don't know belief or, or knowledge for you and, and how, mean, how does it feel <laughs> It's firm now. It, it yeah. definitely <laughs> wasn't at the beginning, right? Because, yeah, so when I finished university, when I finished my engineering degree, um, I had gotten an interview for vet school, and I'd only applied to Calgary because there's no way I could go to Saskatchewan because of CUNA, right? And um, But I didn't get in. And so that was a really you know, difficult thing, because now I'm like, what am I going to do? Right? Like, what am I going to do for at least a year until I can apply again? And um, it was at that point in time that I decided to actually create the nonprofit to, because um, I'd already been kind of rescuing wolf dogs at that point, because we're already kind of gotten around that I had Kuna. So if somebody had a wolf dog, you know, they kind of call me up. And I mean, I that time definitely never said no. And, um, so yeah, I, I had set up the nonprofit to basically start doing it a little bit more legitimately. And I figured it would look really good on my vet application <laughs> for the next year. Right. Um, and so, but yeah, like throughout that year, I really had to figure out 
where to go. Like I kind of felt like I was at a bit of a crossroads, right? Like, do I really commit myself to doing everything I need to do to get myself into vet school? Or, you know, now that like, I'm starting to kind of do this wolf dog rescue thing, like at least a little bit more legitimately. And like, I could see how much I loved it. Um, I had to make a decision about which path I'm going to follow. And, and that was really hard because my family was not necessarily super supportive of going the wolf dog route because that's scary. That's unknown. And nobody in a million years thought that I could ever, you know, actually do that for a living. Right. Like they thought that, yeah, I'm that I'm not going to be able to have a life. Right. Um, but it was actually a couple of my friends that, um, told me, you know what, like if that's your passion, if that's what you love, you have to at least try. And so I did, and it was super scary at the time to make that decision But yeah, I kind of committed myself to give myself a year and really do it wholeheartedly and mm -hmm. see like, what can I make of this? Right. And yeah, somehow, some way I was able to kind of realize that this is something that I want to pursue and that I think I can actually, you know, like do for, you know, at least a meager living, but a living nonetheless. And yeah, and that's kind of how it got started. Um, now, things didn't really change up until I had to move to this new property here just outside of Cochrane. Um, I had run into some permitting issues with MD at Bighorn. They were not too keen to have me around with wolf dogs. Mm. And so they basically gave me the boot and I had to find some place else to live with my wolf dogs. And that was really hard because that's where I had grown up. And mm -hmm. yeah, just that total uncertainty of like, where am I going to go with my animals? Right. Yeah. Um, so when I had to make that decision to purchase a piece of property to move with the wolf dogs, I think that was for me, like the real, oh my God, like now I'm committed to this, right? Because mm -hmm. now I've got a mortgage I need to pay and there's no going back. Um, so, and when I moved those first like two to three years were still pretty challenging because I basically had to start over. Right. And, um, so, but it was in that time frame that I truly started to actually build the organization, build the facilities. And that's when I realized that, um, yeah, like this is what makes me shine. Like I love mm. figuring this out. I love the animals. I love being able to rescue wolf dogs. I love being able to educate people about wolf dogs. Um, and I think that's when I started realizing that, yeah, this is my path. It feels natural. Like I'm not, it's work, it's hard, it's stressful, but I love doing it. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, like it, it's hard to explain, but it just felt right. You know, like I could envision it, whereas I could never envision the engineering part. And, yeah. and yeah, like I've been at this location here now for nine years and yeah, now beyond a doubt, I know this is exactly where I meant to be. And I'm so grateful that this is where my life led me because I 
truly get to do something that I love every single day. And I know that I'm one of very few that can say that. And so I thank my lucky stars every single day for that, for sure. And yourself for following them. It's like you were making these decisions too. Totally. Yeah. And, but I think that's where, you know, like, and maybe this sounds silly, but at the end of the day, like I believe that the universe has a plan and I think I was just kind of being guided down that way. And, and yeah, like I just, I was lucky enough that I made the decision to follow my heart. And, and as long as I, and I know now, as long as I always follow my heart, I, I can't go wrong because I know that I'm doing what I meant to do. It's when I get in my head, that's the problem. (laughs) Yeah, that's everybody's problem, I'm going to (laughs) say. It's such a huge lesson. It can't be understated. I think it's crazy that you, when you say you couldn't envision being an engineer, you could envision this once, once you got far enough down that path. Because the fact that, are there any other sanctuaries like this in, did you know of other sanctuaries? Um, so there, I knew of a few sanctuaries in the United States that, you know, were wolf dog rescues, but yeah, I mean, there was no place like this in Canada. There still is no other wolf dog sanctuary in Canada. And yeah, so a lot of it, honestly, I've had to figure it out as I went along. And, and that's where like, I am grateful for my engineering degree because it helped me to, you know, develop some critical thinking and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it also gave me a really good environment to mature in, I think as well, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, no, I, and still honestly, to this day, I still figure, figure it out as I go along. Right. Like there's no yeah. blueprint for this, but yeah, like I, I know in my mind what I want to build and the type of facility that I want to create and just the type of care I want to give the animals. And that's what drives every decision that I make. Being able to envision something that doesn't exist and have so much confidence and, and a heart behind it is what like blows my mind because yeah. that's what I mean. It's like, oh, I can envision being an engineer because I see so many engineers around me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's envisioning something that I don't see anybody else doing or or any path for steps outlined by the government of like these are the steps you go through if you want to <laughs> apply for yeah. a sanctuary like I can't even like I wonder the permitting process that you went through like what does that look like as the first wolf dog sanctuary in yeah. yeah and and that those steps along the way like definitely were some of the most challenging ones for sure because I didn't really know what I was doing and I had to figure it out and and it caused me to make mistakes for sure, but that also allowed me to learn from the mistakes, right? And yeah, like I ask myself a lot of times, like, would I do it over knowing what I know now? Like, how would I do things differently? And I can't say that I would do things differently because it really allowed me to figure out a very like how I want to create the sanctuary, right? Like I'm not trying to copy anybody else because there isn't really anybody else to copy. And, and that actually has been a gift because it's allowed me to have to figure it out for myself. And what that means is that this whole sanctuary is a reflection of me because I've had to dream it up. I've had to create it. And 
that just for me makes it so much more special because I know that everything out there is like my heart and soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I'm super grateful that there wasn't anybody that kind of walked me through the process or anything like that. Right. Because yeah, Mm -hmm. it, it all, everything out here is a reflection of my heart. Oh, you gave me chills. Yeah. It's it it also shows like your bravery, your courage, like to go and do something that's never been done. And I wanted to ask, like, how did you deal with you mentioned your family not really getting it or understanding exactly like where's the income coming from, Georgina? Like, What did you do with those thoughts and that pressure? Was it kind of fuel to say, yeah, I am going to do it and I can show you or yeah, you might be right. Maybe I should think twice about this. Yeah, that's a really good question. So in all honesty, I don't even think that I thought about any of those things. Wow. And and that's what's crazy, actually, because I think I, I don't know, like, that's where I, I really think that it's what I was meant to do, because there, there were doubts, of course, like, I can't deny that, but I don't know, like, I never... I, it never really crossed my mind of, of failure or having to convince people like I did just like when I made the decision that I was dedicating myself to Kuna, when I made the decision to dedicate myself to the sanctuary, there was just nothing else. I'm fascinated by that knowing I'll call it in air quotes that yeah, you had. That and this me is- too. I am also <laughs> fascinated by it. <laughs> It's spectacular. And there's just listening to you talk about it. There's so many lessons, like life lessons and like people who I know are going to get a lot from this interview, just hearing you talk about it and knowing that maybe there isn't a path forward. Maybe it hasn't been done before, but that's not a reason to not go and do it, especially if your heart is telling you to do it. Yeah. And I know, and just to kind of tie into that too, like my partner, Joel, he used to be a bridge inspector for CN and we actually met because he came to visit the sanctuary like very early on and we started dating and yeah, like, I mean, nine years later, here we are, right. That, um, he was working at CN and he, he enjoyed his job but it was really hard for him to leave our animals and me and, you know, like live that life because I knew that he wanted, like his heart was here. And so that really allowed me to see like how lucky I was that, you know, like I could do something that I love and that, you know, my heart is in this every single day and build something that is meaningful to me because I could see that Joel was going to a job that he didn't really care about. And, and that was, you know, that was difficult for him as difficult for me. And, you know, it really just taught us both that you only have one life to live and you have to do what makes you happy, right? Like take that risk because you don't want to look back and, and wish you would have done it, right? Because yeah, like we're on this planet for such a short amount of time that you have to do what you love doing because 
that's your life, right? And and yeah, like I think it was about three years ago we made the very scary decision that Joel was going to quit his job at CN and and work full time at the sanctuary and and yeah, now like all the eggs were in one basket because now we don't even have Joel's you know salary to live off of if we really need right so yeah but i mean it was the choice that you have to do what makes you happy Mm -hmm. can we talk about just now that you brought it up the money side of things quickly because it's Mm -hmm. a very real fear for a lot of people making decisions big life decisions when you were making these decisions there was huge pressure to like when you mentioned you're, you're going to have a mortgage now on this large plot of land that you're buying mm-hmm. and now there's pressure to create income. Uh, and then again, when Joel left his job, his we'll call it safety mm-hmm. um, job. And again, now you're in the same position though. We have to make money. We have to um, earn an income to pay for all of this. Yeah. How did you view those those thoughts and I'll call them fears because I think often they are fears. Um, how did you overcome those? I mean, honestly, like every single day you overcome them again and again. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like you have to use your smarts, right? Like you got to figure out like, yes, this is something that I want to do because I love it, but there is the reality side of things that, that, yeah, you have to be able to make a living off of it. And I know for me personally, especially working with animals, you, when like, I never wanted to do anything that would exploit the animals. Right. Um, so like, I would never, ever choose to breed them and sell them. Like, you know, there's some places like private facilities and stuff that will do like photo ops and all that kind of stuff. And, and that just never felt right to me. Like, again, that's just not, not the type of person or how I want to treat my animals. So I had to think about, well, what can I do that is in line with my beliefs that people will find valuable that they're going to want to pay for. And it ended up just being for the sanctuary. It's education, right? Like there, and, and maybe I'm a bit lucky that wolf dogs are a bit of a novelty thing and there's a lot of curiosity about them. Um, but yeah, people want to learn about the wolf dogs, right? They want to learn how, they differ from pure wolves, how they differ from domestic dogs. And, and it, and even learning about the wolf dogs gives people insight about their own dogs at home. Right. And so, yeah, so I was able to basically create an income for the sanctuary by offering these educational programs to the public. And, um, that, I will say that even to this day, like it's always a balance of educating people and providing them with, yeah, like an enlightening experience with the wolf dogs, but ensuring that no matter what, the wolf dog's well-being is always the first priority, right? Because I'll never do anything that puts the wolf dog's quality of life at risk just so that people can have an experience with them. And 
and yeah, like we get people that want to come and pet the bulldogs and all that kind of stuff, but that's not how it works, right? Like if you get to come to the sanctuary, you get to watch these animals be who they are, like behave naturally and, and you get glimpses into how loving and wonderful they are. Um, and that's how we educate people about the wolf dogs. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not a show that we put on for people, right? It's you get yeah. to observe who these animals are and, and yeah, we provide signage and we do like different, um, like education activities and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like you come learn about the wolf dogs, um, by what those wolf dogs choose to give you from an outside perspective it seems like you've struck that balance like if you search you guys on google you have a 4.9 review star review and thousands of reviews even though you're not providing like these photo ops and let your five-year-old ride a wolf dog type thing <laughs> you're yeah. still creating a lot of value for the people first of all who yeah. are interested in them and want to learn yeah and i I think, I think one of the things though, that people really value is how authentic it is. Yeah. Right. So that you, and that's one thing that like, I wish a lot of people could learn is that, and especially in this age of like, you know, Instagram and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's more important to be authentic and real than it mm -hmm. is to try to create this like amazing experience because at the end of the day, it, I think people can recognize if it feels false. Right. Yeah. And, and especially as a rescue, um, a lot of our animals, they are really sensitive to people. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like we are very cognizant of the fact that, you know, we want to protect the well being of the wolf dogs. And so, all our visitors, like there are rules that you have to follow when you come, right? Mm -hmm. So that you don't negatively impact the animals and whatnot. But yeah, like we try to create a really authentic, just educational experience for people. And I'm also super, super fortunate that all my staff that I have here, they are in love with these animals like I am, right? And, and people see that. Right. And, and I'm, yeah, just super fortunate that I have these wonderful, passionate people that help care for these animals that also choose to share their experience with visitors. And that is almost as much of the experience for people as seeing the animals is right. Because yeah, people get to see these relationships that we create with the animals and yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds corny, but it's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. It's very cool to see. Yeah, I can say for, um, I, I mentioned it's my husband who got us tickets to go to check it out. And he does not like the zoo. Like he would have to be dragged to the zoo <laughs> because because of that, I don't know, feeling like uncomfortable feeling that maybe it's not the best for the animals. Maybe <clears throat> we're, maybe there's a level of exploitation. Maybe it's not the best environment for each and every one. But mm -hmm. um, definitely the sense of, the wolf to sanctuary was not that it's like really it's almost like seeing animals in the wild like what i imagine maybe a safari or something like that would be like like they just feel like they're doing their own thing and you get the privilege of kind of being around and seeing what they would be like and then learning about yeah. them so that was that was yeah no i can 
like I've felt that <laughs> definitely. I was wondering, I know, um, in terms of building this, there's one thing is to love animals. One thing is to be able to relate to them and build a relationship with them, even when it's very tough. Then there's a whole separate level of different types of skills that go into making this viable in business or institution or organization, basically. And how did you find your way through developing those skills and, and, you know, like the different challenges that you had to face that were nothing to do with the animals, but it's all required? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's one that I honestly, like I think about, and I still don't have a real answer for Like I, I look back at even when I moved to this property, I look at how far we've come in that time and, and just the growth and all the things that we did. And, and half the time, like, I can't even believe it. Like, how did we get here? You know? Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, like all I can say is that every decision that I make is, you know, obviously as the animal's well-being at heart, but like I I follow what I feel is right. Mm-hmm. And that's how I somehow just was able to figure it out. And and this is where like I don't know, I I guess I'm fortunate enough that I am able to trust myself. Like I know I've, I've proven it to myself enough times now that I know no matter what happens, I can figure it out. And yeah, there's challenges and obstacles and setbacks and all that kind of stuff, but you just kind of keep always pushing forward, you know, and, and you use everything that you know, and you just figure it out. It's one day at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's the only thing that I can really, that's the only process that I can say that I really followed to get here. So yeah, like I don't, there's not like specific steps, right? It's literally take everything day by day and make the best decision and trust yourself. And I mean, I am fortunate that I am a good problem solver. Um, That helps for sure. And yeah, like I am able to see kind of the big picture. And as long as I keep that in mind, every decision that I make is headed towards that vision, right? It's amazing. I'm just fascinated by your level of faith, I guess, in yourself and and the universe too. me too. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, and it's something that, you know, it's not like I intentionally, you know, built that or worked on that or whatnot. But I I really think it's just been, I mean, 12 years of living and learning, right? And, And yeah, at a certain point, you just have to have faith and just, yeah, kind of surrender yourself to what is happening and life unfolding before you. And you just make the best decision you can every single day. Yeah. My other question is about how has being around animals heightened your sensitivity to kind of animal treatment and and animals beyond wolf dogs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I spend so much time with animals that you can't, help but start relating to them and, and and understanding their thought process and what they go through. And, um, and yeah, like I think 
as time goes on, more and more people lose touch with that connection to animals and, and whether it's, you know, our domestic dogs at home or it's where our food comes from, right? Like Mm -hmm. you go to a grocery store and you buy a steak and it's a steak that most people don't even think about. There was a life there. Right. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't eat meat and whatnot, but it's like, what I'm trying to say is that people have completely lost the connection. It's Mm -hmm. right. And And yeah, it's the same thing with like the Canada goose coats and whatnot. People think, oh, I'm buying a nice coat. But at the end of the day, that fur trim is a coyote that was at one point in time, a beautiful, living, vibrant, wonderful animal running through the fields, just trying to survive and make a living. Um, And yeah, like the down were farm geese and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's just, I've, People don't have the connection. And I think at the very least, you have to have the connection so that you can respect the life that was given up for that. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously a sensitive topic, so I'm going to kind of leave it there. But yeah, I just wish people would at least acknowledge and appreciate the connection to what they're consuming, what they're wearing, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great perspective. Yeah, I completely agree with you and I'm I'm grateful for all the work that you're doing and all the educating that you're doing. Um and that you found a way to to earn a living and educate everybody that comes to see you guys and and provide such an amazing experience. I'm really excited to go. The more we talk about it, the more I just want to end the call and drive out there <laughs> to see these dogs and um, yeah, well, you'll have to come visit for sure. We'd love that. We will. Uh, I want. I wanted to ask in the documentary that's that we've mentioned. Um, there's one one person that gets interviewed a few times, and I think he's a Banff. I want to say conservation officer. I'm not sure of his his role title, but it made me wonder. Do you have a connection with the parks that kind of surround you and are close to you, Kananaskis and Banff, and do they support you in any way? So there is very much a distinction between wild wolves and wolf dogs, right? So like at our facility, like we, we don't take in pure wolves, you know, like we don't take in wild wolves. If a wolf is injured, that kind of thing, you know, that's not what we do. They don't get rehabbed anyway, but Um, So there is definitely a bit of separation there. That being said, for example, in that documentary, um, the animal that they show was someone's wolf dog that they must have just driven into the park and set free thinking that they were, I don't know, doing that animal a kindness or just, you know, getting rid of it in a good place. Like who the heck knows? And, um, so they had actually contacted us when they saw, or when they discovered that there's this wolf dog around Banff, right? Cause he was coming into town, chasing things, that kind of stuff. Cause yeah, he's a wolf dog. He's food conditioned to humans. He relies on humans for food. And so of course he was coming into town and chasing deer and all that kind of stuff. Right. So they had reached out to us about that animal. 
Um, and we had agreed that if they could immobilize it, that we would take it. Cause I mean, we kind of all agreed that, yeah, this is a wolf dog. This is not a pure wild wolf. Um, but, and I don't know all the specifics because I mean, I wasn't involved on that side of things that from what I know that is that they were not able to just tranquilize it. And I think this animal was in pretty poor condition at that point too, that they decided to just destroy the animal. Um, but yeah, when things like that happen, you know, when we're talking about wolf dogs, yeah, they'll reach out to us. I guess now that we're on the topic, can you just briefly kind of define what a wolf dog is and what's the difference? Um, yes. because even before I watched that documentary, I was thinking, Oh, wolf, like wild wolf. But then you kind of go into it and there's levels of, um, wolf content you talk yeah. about. Can you just briefly educate us? You bet. So a wolf dog is essentially a dog that has some amount of wolf bred into it. It could be a small, small amount of wolf or a whole lot of wolf or somewhere in between. At the end of the day, we have to remember that wolves and dogs are the same species, so they can completely interbreed. Um, so you can breed any amount of wolf into a wolf dog, just depending on your combinations, right? And um, so because of this varying degree of wolf content, it makes talking about wolf dogs really challenging because a wolf dog that has only a small amount of wolf is going to look and behave very differently than a wolf dog that has a lot of wolf, right? And so that's why we split them up into three different classifications. So when we talk about wolf dogs, we talk about low content, mid content, or high content. And that refers to the degree of wolf that's bred into them. So I can sit here and say that a low content wolf dog in the right home can be a companion animal because I know that with a low content wolf dog, they are mainly dog, which means they're going to retain a lot of these domesticated dog behaviors. So owning a low content wolf dog is kind of similar to owning a really high strung Siberian Husky, for example. So you're going to need proper containment. They're going to want to chase cats, probably. You know, you might have to be careful around small kids. Um, they need a ton of exercise. They're quite independent, but they still have a lot of domesticated dog behaviors as well, where they want to please us. They want to be around us. They look towards humans naturally as their caregivers, right? When we go to the other end of the spectrum and we talk about high content wolf dogs, these guys are mainly wolf with only a tiny bit of dog content in them. Basically just enough that they are legal to own because they're not pure wolves anymore. But because they are vastly, majorly wolf, um, they don't retain those domesticated dog behaviors. They will not behave like wild wolves but they will not behave like domesticated dogs. You're basically dealing with tame wolf behavior. So what that means is that they're going to have a fear of humans. They're going to have same-sex aggression. They're going to be territorial. They're going to have prey drive. Um, you know, they're going to have this need for hierarchy, all this kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, 
they are legal to own because there's a teeny tiny bit of dog in them. Okay. So with high content wolf dogs, they, even though they're legal to own, they're never going to fall under the pet category. They're not pets because they don't have any domesticated dog behaviors. Um, and then mid content wolf dogs, they are somewhere in between, right? So they're kind of a little bit more challenging to talk about because some of them, um, kind of end up swinging more towards the, you know, challenging high content wolf dog behavior side. Other ones might, um, sway more so towards like the mellow doggy side. It's kind of just, you're at the mercy of what, um, genetics get basically chosen or, or yet expressed. Right. Um, but yeah, that's why when we're talking about wolf dogs, it's low, mid, high content because it's our attempt at creating some kind of breed standard. Because if we don't have that, you can't really talk about wolf dogs because if I have a wolf dog that is only has a small amount of wolf in it and I tell everybody, oh, my wolf dog can walk down the street in the city. My wolf dog is great at the vet clinic. My wolf dog loves people, loves kids somebody might misconstrue that and think that all wolf dogs behave that way. But in reality, if you were to get a wolf dog that has a lot more wolf in it, it can't do any of those things. And so that's why it's really important when we're talking about wolf dogs to distinguish whether we're talking about low, mid, or high, because otherwise it creates a lot of dangerous information out there that could cause a wolf dog to be euthanized because people are thinking they're going to get one thing when in fact they're getting another. Interesting. So in my head, this conversation has sparked a few more questions in my head. I'm thinking at some point there had to be somebody bred a wolf with either a wolf dog or a dog. Is that true? Like somebody somewhere out there has bred a wolf. You bet. Totally. And I'm actually really happy that you asked that because it brings up another really important kind of piece of information that a lot of people get wrong. So when it comes to wolf dogs, a lot of people think that they, they are naturally the result of a pure wolf breeding with a pure dog. And that is very rarely the case. Um, now in order to create, let's say the first wolf dog, of course you have to breed a wolf with a dog but you did not have to breed a wild wolf with a dog because wild wolves, if they come across dogs, um, their natural inclination is not to mate with the dog. Um, so it's very rare for a wild wolf to mate with a domestic dog and to add a little bit of complication, not only behaviorally does that not quite match up, but wolves actually have a very different reproductive cycle than domestic dogs. So I don't know how much you guys know about dogs and breeding and whatnot, but female dogs, female dogs go into heat twice a year, right? And it can be any time of year, depending on, you know, when they're born. Um, male dogs, I think we all know, as long as they're not neutered, they're fertile 365 days of the year, right? And, um, Whereas when it comes to wolves, they are only fertile during breeding season, which is actually right now. It's kind of January, February. And um, so a male wolf is 
not fertile outside of kind of that January, February timeframe, female wolves only go into heat once a year, again, during that January, February timeframe. So if you think about it, that dramatically decreases the likelihood that a wolf and a dog can even mate because that mating season for wolves is so short. So yeah. So anyway, that's kind of my little spiel about wolves and dogs. So where now to get to your actual question, um, way back in the day, in the fur trade days, there were fur farms that were breeding wolves for their pelts, right? Mm. So, and they were bred in these fur farms um, and they became tame, right? Not domesticated, but tame. And when the fur trade died down, there were still a lot of these bloodlines of wolves living in fur farms that then got sold to private owners, liquidated to, you know, zoos, that kind of stuff. And it was more so like that bloodline or those bloodlines of tame, purebred wolves from fur farms that were bred with dogs to create some of the first wolf dogs. And once you have wolf dogs, I mean, you can breed a low content with a high content. You can breed a mid content with a high content. You can breed a mid with a low. You can breed a low with a low, mid with a mid, a high with a high. Like the combinations are endless, right? So nowadays wolf dogs are the result of a wolf dog breeding with another wolf dog or wolf dog breeding with a dog. It is not a pure wolf with a pure dog. Okay, good to know. I was just imagining the... I'll call it courage. It would take to go find a wolf and a dog and try to get them together. But yeah, I'm glad so. you answered that because I'm sure I wasn't the only one wondering. No, <laughs> tons of people are curious about that. And yeah, cause it's, it doesn't quite match up. Mm -hmm. And wolf dog breeding at this point is, is legal at any type of combination. Yeah, so obviously different countries have different legislation and even different provinces or states have different legislation. Um, so here in Canada, BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan are perfectly legal to own and breed wolf dogs. Um, most of the East is illegal, although there's a couple little, um, yeah, kind of exceptions to that. Um, but yeah, here in Alberta, for example, it is perfectly legal to own a high content wolf dog in your apartment in downtown Calgary. Now, will you be successful at that? Probably not, but it's, you technically could. And unfortunately there's people that try. You mentioned Siberian Husky and it sparked, I had a question written down, um, I don't know how to word it, but basically like in the past, we've heard news of like kids being attacked by dogs. Um, mm -hmm. The ones that are in my memory are, I think often they have been Siberian Huskies uh, and I could be way off, but I wanted to ask, is there, is there a breed of dogs like domesticated dogs that are closest to a wolf in nature and would it be a Siberian Husky? And then I guess, Part two of that question is, are there breeds of dogs that are typically more aggressive in that way? Or is that what, like some of those news things that have happened, is that more a result of poor training and poor conditions? 
Yeah. So that is a big complicated question and I can only answer in generalizations, right? Because every animal is unique and all that kind of stuff. Um, but certain breeds are or more predisposed to certain behaviors, right? So Siberian Huskies, for example, they are a breed of dog that has naturally a high prey drive. So if they see something small running, their instinct is to chase it. A small child running, you know, that can trigger prey drive. Um, Siberian Huskies also can be more predisposed to behavior like resource guarding. And yes, that is, I mean, resource guarding for wolves in the wild is a survival strategy, right? If I have this chunk of meat, I'm going to protect it because this is my ability to survive. Um, and so, yeah, a Siberian Husky, for example, is a breed that is predisposed to resource guarding. So if your Siberian Husky has, you know, its dog toy that it really loves and your small child you know, it hears the squeaking, whatever, and walks up to the Siberian Husky and tries to take it away, then yeah, a Siberian Husky is more likely to snap at a child, bite a child than, you know, let's say like a Bernese mountain dog, which is mm -hmm. generally, you know, they're way more mellow. They're more family dogs, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that genetically speaking, a Bernese mountain dog is further away from a wolf than a Siberian Husky? No. So a Siberian Husky is really genetically speaking, pretty much just as far from wolf genetics than most other dog breeds. It's just that when they were selectively bred, Siberian Huskies um, are, you know, they were bred more so for being working dogs, outdoor dogs, that kind of stuff, right? Which those behaviors fall a little bit more in line with, you know, like similar behaviors as wolves. Whereas Bernese Mountain Dogs, I mean, honestly, I don't even really know what Bernese Mountain Dogs are actually bred for. Um, but let's talk about Irish Wolfhounds, okay? Because I got a few of those. So I know mm -hmm. about, you know, like they were bred for chasing bulls and, you know, like chasing coyotes, foxes, they're sight hounds, right? And so my Irish Wolfhounds, for example, they have a crazy prey drive because if they see an animal running, they were bred to chase that, right? Whereas they were not bred to guard anything. So yes, my Irish wolfhounds, they've got crazy prey drive, but they wouldn't resource guard anything from one mm. another or from me because that's not what they were bred to do. And mm. so, yeah, it's not that genetically speaking, they're the most like wolves. It's just when us humans selectively bred these animals for traits, we, yeah, it is just how much did we need to transform that breed in order to do what we wanted it to do? So that means Toby, the golden doodle, is just as much of a wolf dog as a Siberian husky. That's good to know. I'll yeah. be happy, happy to hear It'll that. make him feel better. Yeah, it makes me feel better. <laughs> I had a follow up about the breeding. Just, I was wondering if you ever had pups at the sanctuary yet. So we. We have never bred animals here because um, that's not something that we don't want to add more wolf dogs to the world. And, and so we spay and neuter our animals. Mm -hmm. um, 
we've never gotten in a pregnant rescue and had puppies here. So we have not experienced that. Um, the closest thing is that we did have a litter of puppies surrendered to us from um, another facility that did not have a permit to breed and they had an oops litter. So an accidental litter. Um, so they had to find another facility for those puppies to go to. So mm -hmm. um, we were, fortunate enough to then get to experience raising a little pack of puppies. And so they're actually our Egadine pack, um, which is the pack that people get to um, see on our intro tour. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, the type of experience that we get with puppies, but yeah, we've never gotten to like raise puppies from like three days old or anything like that. Oh, that's okay. cool. That answered one of my questions too, is if, if people come there, are they able to interact and I guess touch the, any of the dogs? Yeah. And so on our interactive tour, we take people into two different enclosures to meet two packs or our ambassador packs, meaning that, you know, these are the guys that are super socialized to people. They've been doing this. They're pretty much like their whole time here at the sanctuary. They're bomb proof. Like they enjoy that, um, experience with people that being said they're not dogs so they're mm -hmm. not going to run up to people wag their tails and ask people yeah. to pet them right <laughs> so yes you get to enter their enclosures um and the wolf dogs do approach people you know within like i don't know like three to four feet like they get quite close um because the wolf dogs are as curious about us humans as you are about them. And so they'll kind of come check us out and suss you out and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but they don't want to be pets, right? Mm -hmm. They don't, yeah. that's not how they relate to humans. It's not the type of interactions they want to have with humans. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're happy to share with people how they live their lives, right? Their social interactions within the pack. Um, you know, like we'll do kind of fun things where we bring in scents for the wolf dogs that are interesting to them. So, you know, they'll scent roll on things, um, you know, like we'll bring some treats along that kind of stuff. We'll, sometimes we hide stuff up in trees so that they have to problem solve how to get the chunk of meat down from the tree, that kind of stuff. And that's mm -hmm. really fun for people to be able to view because you can really see how differently they think than a domestic dog. And, and you, you know, even when they come approach people, you can literally see the wolf dogs go through a risk benefit analysis, right? Is the risk of approaching this person that I don't know worth the benefit of, you know, like the treat that they have, that kind of stuff. Like you can view all of these just fascinating behaviors and how they think and how they make decisions. And it's so different than the domestic dogs. And in my opinion, that's way cooler and way better than being able to pet them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you, yeah. they're not dogs. You get to mm -hmm. see their wolf side, you know, whereas yeah. if we had animals that came running right up to people and letting you, you know, let you pet them and touch them and all that kind of stuff, you'd just be seeing dog behavior, right? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. That's a good point. Well, I, I just love hearing you talk about how basically interactive, because you have dogs, you have different kinds of wolf dogs in that sanctuary, and you can kind of, you've learned to and develop this ability to read what they need and what they want and be able to cater to that, right? Like if a dog clearly wants to be pet, that's that's the reward mechanism, that's what they're looking for, then it's it makes sense to pet them. If you're talking yeah. to a wolf dog and that's not what they want, then you're kind of interacting with them in the way that 
they want to be interacted with, which just speaks to a very high level of empathy, at least with, with these animals. I was wondering how, this is maybe an awkward question, but like, how do you relate to the empathy you have with, with people and especially with your staff and as you grow your team, how you have developed to be a bigger group, right? And be able to kind of delegate work, motivate people, build that culture. Yeah. So that's a really good question. And I can honestly say that when it comes to like my whole job or role here at the sanctuary, the animals are the easy part. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I, I do feel like I'm able to get to know them and understand them. And and I know, yeah, like that is a comfortable relationship. That's one that is natural to me. Mm -hmm. Um, people is a lot harder for me. Um, but at the end of the day, we all are here for the same reason. And that's because we love these animals and want to care for these animals. And so that is some really easy common ground. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, um, and yeah, like we are very fortunate that the staff that we have, um, you know, they like we all have a very similar thinking process about the animals. And and I think that's where, you know, through the hiring process, that's kind of what I'm looking for as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody knows that it's, it's about creating the best lives that we can for these animals. But at the end of the day, like this is still reality and we have jobs to do and, and tasks to get done. And, and, Cause yeah, getting to spend time with the wolf dogs is a lot of fun, but there's a lot of jobs that isn't spending time with the wolf dogs that might not be as fun and those still need to get done too. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, being able to kind of figure out how to balance people's roles here so that they get a good combination of animal time and then um you know, like doing tours, educational programs, and then doing just some of the behind the scenes tasks and um yeah like it's definitely taken some figuring out for sure but we're all really open and we I think one of the big things that really helps is that we're our own little family and we do everything we possibly can to support each other and we're all striving for the same thing and so it's it makes it a lot easier when you're all kind of on the same page and we all have this common goal, this common thing that we are trying to do to the best of our abilities. And then it's just a matter of, you know, delegating the tasks, right? Yeah, that's 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 a tough, I can imagine, <laughs> much different types of challenge, right? As always, mm-hmm. people people can be yeah. the most rewarding part of, of the work, but also the most challenging to, to yeah. get right. And like, it's definitely taken time to figure out how to really, you know, structure some of our roles here so that people do feel fulfilled and that they are here for, you know, that they're providing value to the animals and what we offer people and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's taken, well, nine years or so to figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm really fortunate that the team that we have is a really great one and we're our own little family and yeah I'm really it I love working with the animals but I also love working with all the people here and that is a great thing because dealing with people is 
just about as much of my time as dealing with the animals, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to be able to enjoy both. And luckily, I've got a great group of animals and a great group of people. That's that's great. Yeah, because like you, you, you have so much clearly so much passion and so much drive and so much direction that I can imagine the team really benefiting from that as a mm-hmm. as a way to kind of look forward and it's not one of those vision statements I guess that feels maybe more put together by like marketing and politics and you have to struggle with should we pick this word or should we pick that word it feels very <laughs> like tangible like their animals are out there and you love mm-hmm. them and you want them to be well so that's yeah that's so cool. And for you, you're like now not just caring for animals, you're caring for a large group of people as well, in a way. Yeah. And that part is scary, right? <laughs> that I'm responsible for other people because, <laughs> yeah, there is a lot less confidence on my part in that department than there is caring for the animals. That, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just like with my animals, like I really do care about all my staff and I want them to be happy here and successful. And so, yeah, I mean, I do what I can to make sure that they are able to, yeah, be successful here and, and feel valued and, and feel like they're really making an impact here, right? Because that's why they're here. And I want to make sure that they have that opportunity. And I can see you mentioned you you make a lot of your decisions from your heart. And I'm sure that reflects for your staff as well. Like they see it and things are genuine and the care um, is obvious when, when you're making decisions from your heart. So I think that's a huge lesson for anyone in the corporate world or in the sanctuary animal rescue world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm super fortunate that they, they do trust my decision-making that I can honestly say that right now with our team that we have, there's 10 of us in total. Um, I wouldn't, change any of them for the world i hope they all stay forever because they're all wonderful me too i hope they all listen to this and hear that (laughs) (laughs) i guess my last question was going to be about kind of rewarding moments if there's any moments in particular that stand out through this journey that you look back on as like keep you going yeah so i can say that without a doubt some of my favorite moments is when we've just done a big rescue of animals that weren't cared for properly and and were kept in small containment and just lived a you know a sad life right that moment where we open up their crates let them go in their new big wolf dog enclosures and they get to run through the forest for the first time and play and explore And, you know, like chase a bird or, you know, like actually be able to express their true nature, getting to witness that moment where they're actually able to be who they were meant to be. That is my absolute favorite. Like I, yeah, those are the moments that I will remember forever. And with any future rescues, like those are the moments that I look forward to the most because they couldn't have gotten that anywhere else. And and you're giving that to them, right? Like you're, you're setting them free, not literally free, that <laughs> you're giving them finally the li- lives that they deserved all along. 
and the lives that allow them to express their true nature, that they can embody who they were meant to be. They're no longer forced and restricted into something that they aren't. And yeah, that's like easily my favorite. There's such a cool relationship between you and the dogs. You're allowing these dogs to be who they want to be. And we've spoken about how they have allowed you to be truly who you've been meant to be. It's yeah. it's a very cool giving and receiving relationship. Yeah. Without them, I I wouldn't be who I am either, right? So yeah, yeah it very much is a yeah, a symbiotic relationship, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Um, what does the future of Yam Nusko Wolf Dog Sanctuary look like? I know there's a there's a program that you work that you're working towards developing as well, right? In addition to this. Yeah. So I mean, as far as the future of Yam Nusko Wolf Dog Sanctuary, um, you know, like we are always trying to expand, build more enclosures so that we can save more animals. Um mm-hmm. we I know I have a dream to create kind of um, an interpretive and event center here at some point so that, you know, we can really expand on our education and um, yeah, just get more people to be able to um, experience the wolf dogs and learn about the wolf dogs, that kind of thing. And um, then I have started kind of my, like a new educational initiative called wolf dog awareness where my goal is to be able to bring a lot of this education about wolf dogs and behaviors and how us humans can relate to them um, to everybody, right? So it's Mm -hmm. purely online so that you don't have to come to the sanctuary physically to be able to learn about the wolf dogs. Um, So yeah, I want to kind of create just an online resources and online community for people that are either interested potentially in getting a wolf dog and want to know how they can be successful um, or people that maybe got themselves into wolf dog ownership are struggling and could use some extra guidance. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I've created wolf dog awareness in order for anybody anywhere in the world to be able to access that information and, and be able to get what they need to either make their relationship with their wolf dog work or get that education that I wish I would have been been able to access before I got Kuna to figure out if, you know, I was ready for this commitment because it would have been a lot easier if I could have known what I was getting myself into instead of having to figure it out after the fact. Mm -hmm. I could see that being an invaluable resource for, for people in that situation or people that want to be in that situation, like the, that they're interested yeah. in it, but there's not a, probably not a lot available at the moment. Well, and especially like, you know how the internet is, right? Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of great information and there's a lot of really bad information. And then with yeah. wolf dogs, they are such a complicated breed where again, low contents are very different from high contents that mm-hmm. it's really hard to parse out true specific information. And I saw that that was something that was really missing as far as being able to, yeah, easily find that information. And so, um, yeah, I kind of decided that I wanted to take that new challenge on and yeah, be able to kind of provide that resource that 
I wish I could have had when I got into wolf dog ownership. It's amazing. It's such a great idea. This one comes from my seven-year-old Tommy. Uh, <laughs> he asked me if if a coyote would think. He actually asked my wife this while they were driving because they drove past a coyote. He said, "Would a coyote think I'm delicious?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and my question is can you answer that the other part of the question is i guess you may have just answered it how do we educate him about wild dogs like what is a good resource for us to to go to yeah well so to tackle question one um okay. <laughs> so coyotes are very different than wolves in the sense that coyotes are are readily urbanized right because yeah. they're kind of more so scavengers and um so for coyotes there's actually a benefit to living around humans because they can scavenge food from us you know they'll eat cats and go through garbage yeah. and you know so they're easily urbanized um mm -hmm. that being said just like any wild animal they are taught by their parents what is food and what is not and how to hunt what is food right and so any healthy coyote that was raised by their parents will learn that a human child is not something that they eat good it's <laughs> and whenever you hear and it kind of for whatever reason i find that happens a lot more times with like cougars or even bears and stuff it's these it's this generation of orphaned wildlife these orphaned cougars and bears that were never properly taught by mom and dad what is food and how to hunt it they get desperate and they just figure it out on their own and so yeah if they then see a small child or a dog or whatever desperate times call for desperate measures right and if so yeah so that's more so you know the the predators that have conflicts with humans, there's a reason for it. It's not their natural behavior. Um, as far as resources for kids to learn about like wild wolves and coyotes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, we're really fortunate that, you know, we're pretty close to the Rocky Mountains and there's some amazing organizations that really focus on education stuff, right? So, um, you know, for wolves specifically, there's an organization called Wolf Matters. Um, there's also an organization in BC called Wolf Awareness, and they do a lot of work about teaching the public about wolves. Um, then John E. Marriott in Canmore, he has his um, organization, um, and you have probably seen some of his videos because they're amazing and, and they're pretty popular, but his Exposed series where he um, yeah, like he does a lot of education on predators as well. Um, so yeah, those are kind of some great resources. And obviously, if there's kids that want to learn about wolf dogs and wolves, I mean, we're here as well. So bring him over. Yeah, bring I love that. Over. He'll be he'll be happy to hear that. Probably he's not the first choice for dinner for a coyote. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> okay. Uh, my last question is, is there anything that you wanted to share with our listeners that you haven't yet? Yeah. I mean, I, I always want people to, to let go of their preconceived notions on animals, whether it's wolves in the wild or wolf dogs. You know, we get taught so many things through movies or when we're kids and all this kind of stuff that isn't true, but that we 
take on as true because that's what we're taught, right? And I just really want people to be able to look at any animal and be able to see for themselves their true nature, right? So take away the things that you think you know about them and and take the opportunity to get to know who they really are. Because I think so many more people would have such a deep respect for animals, for nature, for our environment, if they saw it all for what it really was and, and make that connection. Right. And, um, yeah. So whether it's wolf dogs, whether it's wolves, I mean, it doesn't matter. Just take the time and connect with all the beauty that we have around us, whether it's nature, animals, whatnot, like there's so much out there and, us humans, we have this tendency just to get so caught up in our microscopic lives, right? Our jobs, our, you know, paying bills, family drama, like whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole world out there that you can connect to. And you just get such a better perspective on life, being able to connect to what's real out there versus what we make up in our minds in our tiny Mm -hmm. little lives, right? So, Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's so, yeah, it's well said. Great answer. I can't do any better than that. But I could say that you can extrapolate what you just said to everything, basically. Like, take time to really think about what you've been taught and the things you think you know and really educate, like open your eyes and, and go yeah. ex- experience them for yourself. And if you can find a safe place to do it, like the Yamnuska <laughs> yeah. Wolf Dog Sanctuary, <laughs> yeah, then even better. Right. You are incredible, Georgina. It has been such a pleasure reconnecting with you and learning about everything that you've created. You're such an inspiration. My favorite part is just listening to how you followed your heart and your passion to where you are now with the Yamnuska Wolf Dog Sanctuary. And if there's one thing I've taken away, it's just having that knowing in your abilities and and what your heart is leading you to do is probably the right thing. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming on and sharing all that with us. Um, I'm excited to come out and visit you and the dogs. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. And I just want to say thanks for having me. And yeah, it's it's fun for me to be able to, yeah, just get some of these like different questions and kind of be able to explore, you know, how what I do every day with wolf dogs, how that relates to life. And because, yeah, most of my day I answer questions about wolf dogs, which I love mm-hmm. that it yeah. is kind of fun to be able to, you know, kind of, yeah, expand that to like life lessons and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's obviously wonderful to see you again after, yeah, 12 years. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. I'm so glad that you guys know each other <laughs> and that yeah. Trevor, you reached out. Thank you, Georgina, for joining us. I have a new estimation for Trevor's uh, network now that you're like, whoa, you know, Georgina, I went to the sanctuary. I had no idea. <laughs> but, no, it's really awesome to meet yeah, you. I'm and, basically famous. I know Georgina. And I think one of the things that I take away is like, just like people like you doing what you following your heart to something that doesn't exist. You're creating something new and I'm sure you're inspiring young people all over to realize that there are other options that maybe they can connect to what you're doing and start making their path towards either the same type of thing or their own calling. So yeah, thanks for sharing today. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I mean, I agree. There's limitless opportunities for young people and yeah, it's worth taking the risk. Thank you, Georgina. Thank you.